1: How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au/slash BSV. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Dometic. Mobile living made easy. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning from wherever you are listening right around the country. You can join in the conversation, facebook.com forward slash Real Adventures Show, as well as Twitter and Instagram. The queen of Instagram, Re- Aaron Habgood, joins me. Good morning, Redmond. Morning, Patrick. It's good to be back in some seriously good Victorian weather after our...
0: Little trip up north,
1: yes. Got back uh Sunday, Monday. We did, and we did you, well. I got back you. Sunday, got, you got let got out to Monday. drive the caravan back to the shop in the morning. That's all right for you, you yeah. know, just understanding your role within <laughs> the uh the whole sort of program and organization. Now, uh, you were very keen to get back, get back into work, get back into snapper fishing. A little bit tough for you this week.
0: I got back, and I was actually quite excited to get back to catch. The red-coloured fish, Patrick, that everyone crazes themselves over the snapper, and unfortunately I've had, and I'm not exaggerating, 30-plus-not wins pretty much every day since we've been back, and I should have went out Melbourne Cup day, because it was actually not a bad day, but I heard there was... Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of boats
1: out. So I'm glad I didn't go in that aspect. But Well, far better off being on the water than at the Melbourne Cup, if you ask me.
0: Oh, yeah, you're not a fan of the old race, you know? You've got a couple of mates. Uh, Joshy, Joshy Jenkins, your new teammate, actually got stuck into you yesterday. You don't like the, the races?
2: Yeah, he, he no, the
1: I, I appreciate the races, but if you ask me, the races or fishing. go out fishing, oh, that's a pretty easy one, isn't it? Because you can always yeah. – you can all, <laughs> you look at the people that go to the races. They're all on their phones. You take out – well, we spoke about that during the week, actually, yeah. how bad it is that no one actually watches the races. Right. They're all on the gram. So you can actually go out fishing on your boat. If you want the races up, you can just chuck that up on the uh, on the screen, on the phone in the boat, and then catch a fish while you're at it. And lose some money like I did. Now, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, all, that's, <laughs> part, that's part of racing. Um, during the week, we went to the premiere of Life on the Line. Yep. Uh, Al McGlashan's new documentary on southern bluefin tuna, and wonderfully produced. It was a wonderful night. Some some heavy hitters from from industry, um, you know, right around the country. And was yeah, wonderful- I was there. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah of course it was wonderful to see so many people go up though wasn't it? it was and it was great to see even the likes of we got to
0: sit with uh with Paul and how much he even appreciated paul, paul Worsling, yeah. um, how much he appreciated what al is, is doing not only how good the documentary was but just for the fishery itself and to create this uh sustainable tuna fishery and to maintain it from where it has come from and I knew that where it come from was pretty ordinary as in how bad it got to uh few, how, how the two thousand were yeah, totally decimated well yep. two thousand I think four Al said in the video that uh, in the documentary is when it started to replenish. And I didn't realize it was that bad. And yep. even to where it is now, it's not that good still. Like you saw on the graph that he had sitting where at 13%.
1: 13, it wasn't. Um, 10 I, No, it was 80,000. Oh, as at the best, yeah. Yeah. The best, yeah. Which was, which was what, early, early 80s, late 70s? So. Yeah, it would um, have been about then, yeah. It's slowly replenishing. Would have been just incredible to, you know, to, to fish back then compared to now and we we've we've really started to see a, a real influx with the the fishing we're getting for bluefin tuna at the moment um but one of the things redmond that really hit home for me and and how little i know about it is just the care for the tuna yeah. and how you have to look after them once you do boat a fish how much time you've got to actually bleed it kill it gut it otherwise you 're really you 're destroying the the quality of the fish well, it nearly t- took you as long to say what you have to do for the amount of time they
0: actually recommend, so they recommend and i didn 't know this uh going into going into it to be honest with you and that 's um, what that 's what this it's, is all about Docos about yep. it 's about education so yep. um, enlightenment well for, for me it 's about catching fish when I chase these tuna. And a lot of the time what I do is I get these fish on the boat if I'm lucky enough to land one. And then I'm talking 100 plus kilo fish here. Yep. I'm talking about your bigger ones. And my aim to do is get a good photo with it, which is great. Get yep. the photo. And then by the time I stand that fish up, get the photos. You, I'm not joking. You're talking 15 plus minutes have gone by. But then a lot of the time, I'll put the lures out. Then I'll treat the fish. Yep. And that's honest. I do. And I yep. think 80% of people would do this. Talking to... Or Watching the documentary with Al, uh, uh, what Al was put together with the commercial guys and the wreck guys, you have three minutes, and science, and science, you have three minutes to treat this
1: fish with respect. Three minutes from... So that's bleeding the fish. Yep. Killing the fish, obviously. Yep. uh, Gutting it, because the the insides of the fish are there. They they literally are the thing that cooks it. Literally, and the blood as well. The blood. If you stop the blood
0: flow, as soon as you stop that, then the cooking process happens really fast. Yeah. So there's no point in bleeding the fish and letting it sit there, thinking you've done its job. You haven't. You haven't done it because then once you take away um the the thing that monitors the fish's core strength, which is the blood, uh, the core strength. Sorry, the core temperature, which yep. is the blood. That's what then well, as soon as you take that out, the the guts just heat up and literally cook the fish. Inside, inside out, out. literally. Yep. And uh, another really interesting thing was how quick the commercial guys actually get it into the ice slurry. Like, it's not just doing that process. It's just not commercial. There are rec guys out there that do this too. But,
1: but, but let's be honest, very few that very treat few. them properly.
0: And to, to tell you honest truth, I'm probably one of the ones that haven't... I thought I was treating it properly. But this was an, an eye opener, and this yeah. isn't Al McGlashan putting a load of crap together and making something up off the top of a thing what he thinks is right. This is science coming on his, their boats, and what well, was very and, and
1: a lot of input from commercial fishermen with how they treat the fish, because for them it's not about catching as many as they can; it's about the quality of catcher and how they treat it. So well, the better they treat it, the better quality of flesh, and the more money they're going to make from it.
0: Well, with well, something that I sort of. Heard when we were listening to the documentary, one of the commercial guys said, without us, you won't have the studies and you won't save the fish. It was sort of along those lines. And Well, I'm you, thinking,
1: need, you need to yeah, actually cat, uh, continue a yeah, capture rate to, see, to understand yeah. what the numbers are like. And when
0: I first heard him say it, I thought, oh, righto, like, and then I thought about it after a couple of minutes when they were talking about it in a bit more depth. And I was like, yeah, you're spot on what you're saying. So even the gene samples that they're taking out of the fish, they've now got computer processors and robots that literally do this to fasten up the process. So now not only are they monitoring... Uh, bluefin tuna, it's actually the families of bluefin tuna. So it's the whole, it's not just the one breed of tuna. Now, I know it's the same species of fish, but they all have their own genes from the areas they come through and the families yep. that they're with. So that was really interesting too. So they're tracking these fish, where they're actually coming from. And just a little little bit of information, uh, I did know this, but the main spawning grounds, known the only one known is... Off Indonesia, there off their south uh, south corner, off Java, uh, which is off Java there. So, and it's it's a big ground, but it's not a big ground because they these fish. Basically, long story short, they come down um, the west coast of uh, uh, of Australia. Yep. They come down, and you get a, a patch that come to us, which is here in Portland, Victoria. Head
1: past the obviously the Great Australian Bight. Yep, through South Australia. New Zealand, yep. Tasmania. And then
0: there's another patch that scoots out and just keeps pushing more west. And yep. they reckon those fish actually turn back and end up coming back up our way. And then what Al was saying, which I found interesting with the fishing side of it, they don't know where those fish that travel past Victoria up to New South Wales, they don't actually know where those fish go. Yeah, it's fascinating. But, but also what I found interesting was actually talking to Al before uh, before we the documentary started, was even just the fight time that actually was involved in the fish up New South Wales to Victoria. Now, every single fish you catch determines how you treat the fish actually comes back down to how... Now, this is getting technical, but this is what they taught us, was every fish you catch, when you bring it on the boat, whether if you land it fast, their adrenaline might be going. If you land it slowly, their lactic acid is building up, and then you actually have to determine... (laughs) <laughs> when to bleed the fish, and this is getting yep. a bit too technical, I think. But they talk but about
1: calming the fish down. Calming the boat. fish
0: down to actually reduce the adrenaline or the lactic acid to actually let that settle as well. So there's different ways to doing it. The three minutes was the average, but uh, Al was saying he's landed 80 to 100 kilo fish sometimes in 15 minutes out of yeah. New South Wales. Pat, I fought fish this year for onwards of three and a half, four. I landed one, what was it, even just recently with Bobby. That was probably, it was 135 kilo in under an hour, 40 minutes. And then we got one which was 105 kilo, which went for just over three and a half hours into dark and bigger fish, but how healthy it is and what's building up. So it comes back down to landing
1: the fish and treating it under three minutes is uh, the long story short. So the takeaway points for recreational anglers that are, that are keen to chase bluefin tuna uh, and keep the fish, you've got to get it bled, you've got to kill it, you've got to gut it. And then you've got to preserve it with, obviously, whether it be chiller bags and ice, um, as quickly as you possibly can. I think that's really. Otherwise, important. it just does to start to deteriorate. And they reckon once it starts to
0: deteriorate, the citrusy smell or taste, taste will come through the fish, and that literally ruins the fish. But what you just said, then, for wreck anglers, you can now buy chiller bags, which are made for these fish. Yep. they're two over two meters long. They're wide. Some of them you can only get two barrels in. So there are numerous brands out there. I know Mad Fish Gear is a great. Uh, great brand. Uh, you've also got um, Blue Bottle Chiller Bags. They're great too. So there's some numerous bags. They are a little bit expensive. You're probably talking around that um, oh, $300,
1: $400 mark for those bigger ones, but it's worth it to look after this fish. If you want more information on how to look after uh, Bluefin Tuna... When it comes to, to capture and cooking, uh, head to au for more information and links to useful websites. Redmond Salt Guide, you had a talk Thursday night around Snapper. There was a workshop there. You can give our listeners this morning a bit of a free uh, consultation on what you spoke through. Actually, let me just get my bank details up here so they can
0: transfer. No, <laughs> we, uh, we did have the workshop at the Geelong uh, Yacht Club, which was a great night. We had a couple hundred people come, which is good, and basically we just covered your your simple things with snapper fishing right through to a little bit more complicated, and it was great. Gwane's so informative over in Western Port, and obviously Port Phillip Bay is my backyard, so it was good for people that are trying to learn and understand water temperatures and as simple things as rigs, and we've spoken about this for, what, three years now on this show about sinkers. The amount of people still using six- and four-ounce sinkers because they read at the tackle store, snapper lead. Or, or heavier. Or, or heavier. They yeah. read snapper sinker, and that's what they think. And and just trying to change these people's uh, – these people uh, sorry, I shouldn't say these people – change the rigs that people use in Port Phillip Bay. And the perception around what you yep. need to use. Yep, exactly. And even just where to fish at the right times. Now, I had guys messaged me during the week going, I'm giving up on snapper. I've tried all year already. I haven't caught a fish. And I said, where are you fishing? They said, Mount Martha, 20 metres. And I'm like, that's the last place I'd target a snapper right now. Why would you there? Spend 20 minutes in the car driving up to so you can get access Black Rock somewhere north, or yep. even if you're on that like over Mount Martha to drive over to St Leonard's is still going to be better. So we're trying to tell, teach people to stop wasting their time. Yep. Following these water temperatures, using the right rigs, techniques and uh, hopefully catching themselves a
1: 10-kilo snapper this year. Uh, Redman, Christmas is fast approaching. We're talking around... Uh, there's always... There's no, It's November. <laughs> yeah, Michael Bublé defrosting oh. as we speak. Um, there's, there's no good time to buy a uh, new fishing gear. It's just, it's just load up always. Yep. Um, but this time of year, <laughs> obviously, there's catalogs that are flying around. When it comes to advice around purchasing new gear... It's pretty simple at the moment, the price match.
0: Yeah, price match. And this is something that you uh, you love to do. You're always going into your, uh, well, you're your not anacondas getting...
1: and BCFs with your, your catalogs. Get your catalogs. Yep. So not everyone you take lives... us through it. Go well, on. not everyone lives close to a tackle world or an anaconda or a complete angler. Yep. But these companies are in competition with each other. So what you can do is you can take whatever catalog that you see on Facebook or you see on Instagram or you get sent in the mail they get to whatever competing store. Say, well, you know, Aaron O'Connor's doing it for 20 bucks cheaper or whatever it is. Can you match it? I'd say 99 times those stores are going to match it and you get yourself a good deal heading into Chrissy. A bit like uh, Bunning's Warehouse. Well, ex- <laughs> no, it's exactly right. It is a bit like Bunning's Warehouse. So, um, you know, you've got to make sure that you So boy, you're trying We're to say We're spending is... thousands of dollars on fishing gear every year. Everyone is. Let's bring out another thousand. That's what boat stands for. So sure. we want to make sure the dollars are stretched. Be careful what you're saying here because both our partners are in the room. So
0: don't get us into too much trouble.
1: Yeah, the kids are around this morning. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right, Redmond. it's time to launch the show. Plenty more real adventures coming up after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures for Club Marine. Insure your boat or jet ski with Club Marine. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for The Social Club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you send it into our Real Adventures Facebook page. Redmond, you've got the first question. I do, and it is for you, Patrick. Dennis has
0: asked, is the new GoPro really worth buying?
1: Uh, if you've got a seven i'm not sure I'd be spending the extra dollars I mean there's there's certainly an upgrade in their image stabilization so what is there an eight come out there is an eight you've really? obviously been keeping a brand. I, I thought the seven was the latest no there is an eight um, it's got you know it's got some new features like live streaming um, there's a higher quality um, image capture um, there's a few new built-in um, mounts that've improved their microphone and a few different media um, mods that they've added to it there's obviously the there's not obviously for you because you haven't been keeping uh the rest <laughs> of it um but there is the new um it's like a, a selfie screen that you can add to it so you can actually see exactly oh what you're capturing when you're facing it yourself. Well, oh God. people use it a lot, so it makes sense. Well, you actually did use that selfie mode when you are away, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, so I think the biggest thing for, for me with the 7 and 8 with the GoPro is just their image stabiliser, how good it is. It's it's sensational compared to what the, the 5 and the 6 had. So if you've got a GoPro Hero 5 or 6, I think it is worth upgrading. Yep. If you've got a 7... Um, I'm not sure I'd be changing just yet. I mean, the eight is definitely an improvement, um, but they're still, you know, they're an expensive thing. So um, I'd I'd hold off. That would be my advice. Simon Redman, what should I be... Where should I be targeting right now
0: for snapper? So... Port Phillip Bay, I'll cover a fair bit of that uh, in about two seconds because Gwaine had some great fish during the week that come out of Curranalla in Western Port. So he got some awesome fish. I know he was in three metres of water at times, so that's good going. I know silver Leaves as well has been pretty good too. Coming to Port Phillip Bay, the water temp's starting to creep up this week has probably hurt it a little bit. Uh, it's It's been pretty cold. Yep. So Clifton Springs is now my ideal world. That's where I'm going to be hitting it up. Basically, Monday onwards looks great. Possibly even tomorrow night on the Sunday night, I could be out there as well if the misses let me go. But hopefully uh, I can get out. But uh, pushing into that Black Rock Altona area is now worth it as well. Fishing nice and close up there. And it's great to see the charter guys. And I spoke about this week in, week out. They're getting consistency now. They're definitely getting consistency. Still a little bit of hard work. It's not bagging every trip, but it's happening. They're getting them more regular now. So that's probably more your your carom area and a few other areas. So everywhere's starting to heat up. I'd probably try and stay out of the deeper water. You might find a patch of fish that eats, but if you want consistency, that 16 to 18 metres of water is where I would be fishing, and it would be Clifton Springs into that Altona Black Rock um, across from that, uh, sorry, Altona to St. Kilda Black Rock, and starting to work into that Carrum region as that water temperature holds at 16. And just, I had messages during the week. It was 16 degrees at Mount Martha. Yeah, but you're in 20 metres of water and it's 16 degrees on the, the surface, surface yep. where it's probably 18 up at Altona there and down below is at 14 to 16 where in Mount Martha it's going to be cold down the bottom. So you need the whole thing to heat up yep. for those snapper. Just to hot and firing. that's why I like to fish them around the Christmas and then once it heats up too hot that January, February when you probably have your hardest snapper bite in January but that that's when it's going to be the hardest but as that ta- water tapers off after the month of February, March, then into April, and it starts to drop. That's when that Mount Martha heats up again.
1: Yeah. So gotcha. where
0: you, where, so just being a bit mindful of where you're fishing, because you are, yeah, you people are wasting their times and they're making it hard for themselves, hard for themselves, and they're getting frustrated. The fishing have hasn't been easy. It's about to get easy now, and I say it and I mean it. It's about to happen. So just
1: be a bit smart where you fish, and you'll catch them. If you've got a question for Aaron or myself, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash realadventureshow to join in the conversation. Now it's time to discuss stream boating destinations. Thanks to Club Marine. Ensure your boat or jet ski with Club Marine. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Ask a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. We're speaking this morning about Portland. You're going to talk to us, Redmond, about a few different places you stay generally. And it's got to be boating friendly, obviously, because... You're taking, you know, six, seven metre boats well, down there, so you need somewhere to store it and store it, store it safely.
0: That's right. And Portland, when I think of dream boating destination, I probably think of Hitchinbrook Island and Mission Beach. And now I'm going to take you to southwest Victoria where the temperature doesn't get above six degrees during winter, so it's not your ideal dream temperature place. And but it can be a bit industrial <laughs> at times. It is. But this is a boating, boating destination. This is a boating and fishing destination, and I'm calling it today. Portland, it's a... It's a place where you're going to catch your dream fish, hence why I went along this line to say Portland today. Now, what I mean by this, it has basically become the home of bluefin tuna. It has been the about... mecca
1: of bluefin tuna, it absolutely.
0: Is. And we've spoken about this at the start of the show, hence why I wanted to talk about Portland today. It's so accessible to trailer boats. And now before we talk into the where you can stay is the you need a lot of these boats now, Pat, how big are some of these trailer boats? You're talking thirty Huge, plus well, Richie yeah. Abala, Dreamcatcher Sports Vision. Richie's got a thirty plus foot Noosa cat. So you need good boating facilities to get these boats in and around. They've got two separate boat ramps with I think it's three and four on each Ramps, eight ramps. Yeah, you can launch a lot, yep. which
1: they need because it does get yeah, busy in summer. Very busy.
0: Oh, it's summer and winter as well now with the tuna run. But summer, you kingfish. It doesn't ever stop Portland. But I'm talking about during the winter months this, uh, for the tuna at the moment, the, facility, the, the accessibility to actually turn around Lawrence Rocks there and all of a sudden you're in 20 metres of water and there's 150 kilo bluefin tuna jumping out of the water. What do you reckon, Pat, some of those photos I showed you with Bobby, do you reckon it was about, what, we're probably 300 metres, 200 metres from land in some of our photos? Yep, super close. Super close to land. So it's very accessible and you can catch 100 plus kilo bluefin tuna. But not only that, it has a couple of great pubs, which is when you go out fishing for two days, you don't want to be cooking – no. Exactly you want to be right. drinking your, your Jamisons, Patrick. Look after <laughs> the Jammo. <But laughs> it's got great pubs there which stay open to... Uh, you can ring them and they're great. I ring them all the time. I'm running half an hour late. Can I please... Can you put even just put it aside? And they do. They're very friendly like that. And I stay at the Holiday Village. Now... Beautiful brand-new cabins, holiday village there. It's across the road from the IGA, which is also good because if you want to buy some bread and things for the next day... Yep, it's all close. ...it's all close by, and not even next door to, Or next literally next door to that is the car wash too. So that's why I like to stay there. And it's got areas you can put the boat. It's probably not the ideal situation for a lot of boats, but if you get a reservation, there's going to be room for you. So they've got a nice big grass patch. Also, if your boat's... My boat fits right next to... The staby fits right next to... Uh, the cabin. So holiday village and Portland was our destination today.
1: If you want more information on Portland, visit visitportland.com.au dot AU Club Marine is Australia's leading provider of insurance for boats and jet skis. And now you can win the dream with Club Marine. Club Marine members have the chance to win a share of over $260,000 in prizes, including a Ram 1500 Laramie pickup truck and a North Bank 600C boat and trailer package. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Eligibility criteria, terms and conditions apply. Call for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. New South Wales permit number LTPS 19 33208. real adventures it's time to get all aboard for Dometic mobile living made easy welcome back to real adventures it's time for all aboard for Dometic whether you're on the road or out at sea Dometic has you covered our special guest this morning is Joe Carley we actually uh we tapped into Joe a few weeks ago Redmond he saved our bacon when we were fishing around Lucinda what do you mean they're all my spots they were not your (laughs) spots good morning Joe
2: Morning, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: No, thanks for joining us. And quickly, Patrick, we can thank him. for He, he covered our butt. He, he did when we were up in uh, Lucinda having a fish last week, which was uh thank you very much for that because you made life extremely easy for myself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no drama, guys. It's uh, its not a hard thing to do when you've been living in this town for 22 years and yeah, fishing everywhere from south of Townsville up through north into uh, the Hinchinbrook region.
1: Well, the Hitchinbrook region is where we want to focus on, Joe. Obviously, it's a it's a familiar one for you, but for anyone looking to travel to the region, you've obviously fished there for, for ages. What can people expect when they come there? Because it can be tough to find fish, but when you do find them, um, as, you, as you said to us, you don't need too many tricky lures. It's just about getting it down there and they'll smash it.
2: Yeah, that's it. I think the biggest... Um, drama with Hinchinbrook that people would find is the sheer size of the place. It can be absolutely overwhelming just due to the size of the system and the island itself. The, uh, the Hinchinbrook Channel itself is enormous, uh, and then you have other places like Missionary Bay, and then you've got the surrounding islands as well. So, you know, for me, it depends on the season. It depends on the conditions as to where I sort of go to target uh, a certain type of fish.
1: Now, there's so, some incredible pla- there's some incredible islands, obviously around that region as well, Joe. Offshore um, and yeah. obviously Lucinda is is well known for its mackerel fishery. The best time of the year is to fish for those.
2: Mate, I'll, if I was to ta- uh, target Spanish, it would be through the winter months. They'll so travel up. Uh, up further north and just give you a better opportunity to catch more. So they're just up there and more prolific around the island. So um, you can get those things on, say, um, sharp pressure points around any of the islands. Um, but as well as that, you have um, all your wreck fishing as well. So they'll tend to obviously follow the bait around. So if you can get a few little uh, wrecks, they'll generally hold a fair amount of Spanish um, and other pelagics.
0: J- Joey, one thing that so, is- one thing you said to me was, unfortunately, Pat, I didn't get to get to go do this because we had a change in our schedule. But the GTs out there that are holding on these wrecks, it's just insane. Like, you don't have to get up onto the reef itself all the time. Like you said to me on one of the spots, rock up, throw a few poppers, and you're probably going to catch a 20-plus kilo GT. And I'm thinking, what? Like, just in the middle of the ocean, and you're like, yeah, they'll come up. You just got to use a popper to bring them up. How often are you going to catch these fish out there on on, on numerous areas, or numerous marks, I guess you could say?
2: Uh, look, you, you d- always do have the chance to raise something. Like wreck wreck fishing always seems to hold a lot of silverfish. Um, and, you know, unless you try, a lot of people don't do it. They, they assume that there's a wreck there, that we need to drop jigs straight to the bottom and we'll catch all the demersals and things like that. But, hey, there's on numerous occasions that, you know, especially if the wreck's quiet and no one's sort of pressured it yet for the day or, or, you know, it's one sneaky spot that you've sort of got up your sleeve, but it's always worth my first, my first go to is always, you know, getting upwind or up current, depending on which one's stronger. But yeah, absolutely. You're, you're a hundred percent right. So I'll throw a really big cup face popper, something really dark in colored, um, with a really big, deep splash. So. What my idea there is, is that you're actually popping them out and you're raising them to the surface. So they may sit at the bottom to mid-water column, but you know, the big popper will call them all the way to the surface. So if it's quiet and there's no pressure, first thing you do is get in there, throw your popper, you know, over the top of the wreck as you're sort of drifting over it. And yeah, it, it works. It absolutely works. And then it's easy fishing too. So even if you hook them, you know, you're in 30 meters of water. So you raise them all the way to the surface, and you get on them. Um, yeah, you know, it's not too hard to keep them away from the wreck. That's for sure.
0: I like what Joey. Uh, it is
2: vertical fishing, and that does hurt. But <laughs> it's worth it, absolutely. I like what yeah.
0: Joey said then as well, Pat, because it's a bit like myself ringing Joey. Like he just chucks in and it calls the fish up. Run on <laughs> Telstra, a bit like me calling Joey, find out where they are too. So <laughs> that's always a good thing.
2: No, it does work. It absolutely does work. A lot of people, yeah, they just don't do it. They'll, they'll sort of get to the wreck and drop a bait or a jig and be happy with what's on the bottom. But sometimes they're looking for that big, loud noise on top.
1: Uh, Joe, in terms of finding reef, obviously you've fished there for a long period of time, and it, it just takes time to start to understand the region. But what's the key to finding reef? Is it just spending time in the boat, sounding over new places, um, you know, to to discover? New spots to fish for you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Look, when I'm heading to a spot, I try not to pick the same lines all the time because you're obviously just sounding over almost the same country every time. So I just try and pick a different direction or uh, to go in, or I'll I'll pick a different point in the reef to where I'm going. But as I'm getting closer to the reef, and it depends again what I'm targeting. But if it's a coral trout and and things like that, I'll be looking for those isolated. Um, bombies that aren't quite on the reef. So, you know, anything in say 40, 30 to 40 meters. If you find a nice isolated bommie that's quite close to the reef, mate, you, you're almost guaranteed a big on. Honestly. And now you've got to look for the, the the pressured sides of the reef, um, or where it's draining off onto the off the reef and sort of down into the hard face. Um, so that's sort of what I do looking for country. Otherwise, uh, if you're looking for say largemouth netter guy or red emperor, then what I do is I'll actually look for tight contours or or, or dips in it, uh, in the contours, and just look for ground in that deep water. And honestly, it's, it doesn't need to be much, and it doesn't need to show you much on the sounder for it to produce really good fish.
0: Well, that's something I've always talked about too, Pat, and for people listening, is seriously, those contours that you can look on your charts, the advantage you get to before you even go out fishing by using something like navionics or even sitting in your boat looking it just makes life that little bit easy doesn't it joey
2: yeah absolutely you do your homework before you go everybody just about everybody has say navionics on their phone uh it's an essential tool Are you sitting there bored in front of the tv watching probably something you don't want to watch it your missus has put on it's a good time <laughs> to uh, do a bit of homework look for them contours and in in some deep water and Mate, it's, it's really successful. It works really, really well. you just got to put the time in, that's
0: all. Speaking of uh, successful, you weren't as successful in this, Pat. Now, I'm, I was uh, I was actually on the crew boat filming yourself and your dad having a bit of fish, but one fish you wanted to catch around the Hitchinbrook Island was the barramundi, the elusive was, barramundi. Yep. Uh, we spoke to Joe that day and he basically said, you're on the wrong tide and it's going to be hard it's going to be working real fast after it. You've got to wait for the last two hours. Well... We found out the hard way, didn't we, Pat? It was. Uh...
1: Well, we gave it a go, but yeah, Joe was right. The tides moving incredibly quick. Um, one thing I do want to ask you about the barra, Joe, just the use of soft plastics for them, because most people in the you know the the southern states think, oh, I'm going to chase barramundi. I need to use a bomber. You know, it's a it's a hard body lure versus you know the introduction of soft plastics, which we're seeing more and more of. What do you like to use? Um, and does it change from month to month, to month depending on the seasons?
2: Um, yeah, look, it does change. Things do change. It, it just depends on how hot the bite is. Like everybody wants to catch a fish on surface as their number one you know, go-to because it's um, it's very stimulating. You're watching a surface lure and then you watch an eat from a surface lure and there's sort of nothing compares. But say in the summer months – especially in the Hingebook region, we find that you can get topwater bites all day, um, not just from Barramundi, but from Mangrove Jack as well. But uh, for me, it's really the country that you're fishing, that which will determine which lure that you're using. So um, with with that sort of uh, low tide drain fishing, it's a good opportunity to run a hard body jerkbait, uh, something with trebles, just just to give you that, you know, another 1% on keeping hooks in a fish. Um, but if you're sort of, Say fishing uh, flats where there's a bit of timber, or they're hanging on small timber and stuff. I'll, I'll probably more so go towards a like a paddle tail soft plastic with a really light jig head. Something that you can spend a bit of time up there, but you got less hook to uh, to basically get snagged on, um, which would still get the bite.
0: Joey, I. Uh May have went out a little bit underdone with the gear that we took out sometimes, Pat. Uh, I was running... Slightly,
1: 5,000,
0: 5,000 stratic, stratic. with stratic uh, with, with a light jigging 120 gram rod. What do you go out to battle with, basically? So I'm talking a day out to the reef or even the night out. What are you taking out to battle? What are you using on average for the variety of species of fish that are out there? And basically for anyone that wants to head up there, what, what could they purchase um, that you recommend that's going to do, do most of the damage?
2: Look, I run a I run a vast range of samurai rods, um, and I I tend to stick to act quite light gear. To be honest, um, a lot of a lot of people I know and that I fish with all use quite heavy stuff. But mate, I'm literally taking out twenty pounds on a XTL one twenty gram jig rod and on a with a 3500, uh, 3500 pence, um slammer. So it's a relatively small setup. It's really light, but uh, the rod has enough power to stop just about anything that you want to catch, to be honest. Uh, I don't believe in leading, say, an 8 or a 10,000 or or bigger with 50 or 80-pound braid. All it's going to do is keep a shark on your line for a lot longer. But, you know, <laughs> if there's anything that you actually want to catch, like a Red Emperor, a Netter Guy, a Cold Trout, or anything like that, like 20 pounds is literally all I need for it. Um, you know, you tie your knots right and... You believe in in the gear that you're running, you can you could stop anything. So I honestly run two jig rods. One's a yeah, one's the one I just mentioned. The other one's a little bit heavier, um, but it's only a five thousand Saragosa with thirty pound mate. So that's that's my heaviest jig rod, to be honest. It's exactly and, um, what I was saying. Right. That rod's not going to stop it, then there's probably a good chance that you may have just had a big shark. <laughs> you don't it's want to as keep simple it simple
1: as that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Joe, what about the best time of the year to fish the region for those looking to to head up and spend some time and spend some money and um enjoy it? When's the best time to to target fishing up there?
2: Uh honestly, for me it it would be right now. It'll be just after winter, uh the winds start to die off. The uh rain hasn't quite set in yet. Um and it's the uh, it's sort of the build-up to, to the heat. So you still got good chances of good quality Spanish mackerel still because it isn't quite hot. The water temp hasn't gone right up. Um, but, yeah, you start to get your glamour days that are consecutive. So, yeah, to be honest, my favourite time is um, now, is end of August through to October, November.
1: Perfect. Beautiful. Well, Joe, thanks for joining us on Real Adventures this morning. If anyone's interested and wants to follow Joe on social media, it's one of the most colourful pages you'll just about ever see, every species you could possibly imagine. Um, And us Victorians are known for just chill photos. He's just
0: got individual
1: beautiful photos of fish, doesn't he? They are so nice, Joe. So thanks for joining (laughs) us this morning, mate.
2: No yeah, no problem, guys,
1: no problem at all. Joe Carley, he is one of the best anglers in that region, Redmond. He is like very good. Phenomenal. It's time for Red's review. Now, Redmond, we're talking this week around driving your boat on and off the trailer, the tricks of the trade.
0: After you and I had a massive blue about it at the down at the cans boat ramp, everyone looking at us. But basically, the, the, the simple way to explain it for most recreational boats is when your trailer guard, the front of it, so I'm talking about the bit that's closest to the car, not the back of the trailer, yep. so the, the guard that's at the front of the trailer, when that goes under the water, that's usually about the right depth for pretty much all uh, trailer boats. Now, if it's a longer trailer, dual axle, obviously you need to look, think a bit more, but on average, that's the way to do it. So when you're coming down, as soon as that guard goes under, that usually means that the rollers or the skits are going to be, uh, under enough so you can drive up smoothly and not come on real fast and the boat will float and move. Because you, you don't want the back end. No. You don't want the stand floating. That's right. If you are too deep, what will happen is the boat will come on too fast. You won't get a grip of the trailer. You won't just. It just won't hold the boat itself. And then as you hit the nose of the boat onto the actual, uh, the, well, the arm of the where you winch your boat on, gone blank, but anyway, it, it as you're holding yourself on with the accelerator, yes, you're straight, but as soon as you back those revs off, the boat might actually float off to the sides and you have to put it back in and readjust. Yep. So top guard is the easiest way to explain it. Roller versus skid, your preference? Uh, I've got rollers at the moment, no, I can't complain about. It. Uh, the only problem with my boat is with the rollers, they're probably too good. So when I'm taking the boat off, I mean, i mean, thr- I have to have full throttle onto the thing otherwise, so that, otherwise it'll right. just roll off. Uh, I don't know, what's your opinion?
1: Uh, I really enjoyed having a skid trailer with the bigger boat up north yep. because it meant we could take off the, the latches back down and then away you go. But, yeah, it is nice when it rolls off. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. Well, I reckon they're as good as each other. Probably,
1: yeah, I, don't know, I reckon the roll. I can't complain. I've got rollers, so I'm going to have to go with rollers just because I can't complain with them. If you've got something that you would like Redmond to review for Red's review, make sure you send it in to our Real Adventures Facebook page. Red's tip of the week for New Age Caravans. Visit your local New Age Caravan dealer today. It's time for Red's tip for New Age Caravans. Spring into summer sale is now on. Redmond, your tip for this weekend. We were away.
0: In last couple of weeks, as we've said numerous times on the show, it's been my favourite line for this, this show, but basically you are getting the boat ready. What's that, numerous or <laughs> we've been away? <laughs> we've both. Yep, yep. You've, uh, you turned the batteries on. I and, did and uh, you gave me a bit of a lesson. Yeah, a little bit of a lesson. So what happens is when you turn your batteries on, a lot of the time your Garmin unit turns on. Yep. Uh, turns as well on as a
1: whole lot of other things.
0: Yeah, all your units turn on. So yep. In this case, the Garmin, t- it turned on and we've got a one kilowatt it was a one kilowatt through hull transducer, which is a a great a great unit, quite an expensive unit too. So I said to Pat, I didn't know that you turned it on, and I just heard the ticking. And what I mean by the ticking, it literally is a ticking sound. It's like you can hear it. The sonar going. I've got Pat. Have you got the Have you got the unit on? And you're like, what? I said, have you got the Garmin on? And I quickly jumped up on the boat and jumped onto the screen and went into the settings and hit transmit off. So I stopped the sonar from transmitting. Yep. Now what happens is. If you actually leave that on and, for example, leave your batteries on in the boat and that stays on for a period of time, it could be... I don't actually know how long, because I've never had it happen. But I know numerous people that I'm friends with have had them blow up and burn out, yep. and they're done. They're screwed. They're done. They don't work ever again. So you got to replace it You got to, to replace. It's a there. lot of money for a yep. one kilowatt transducer. So basically, with uh, basically what you're going to do is, as you I, I've got it built into my head, I do this every single time. Now, your 600 watt transducer, you're going to get away with a bit more, but your one kilowatts will burn out very, very fast. So what you do, your boat drives up onto the trailer. You know how you turn your, the unit off most. Of time, perhaps straight, uh, straight up, you turn it off, the first thing I do is I pause the transmitter. So I go to transmitting, off, and I turn it off. You can do this on all your units, not just what we've spoken about, sorry, but you can do it on every unit. They can turn it off. Your Furuno, whatever you're running, turn it off, because if you leave it on from the time that you drive out to even getting back to the caravan park like we were doing, you can blow up and all of a
1: sudden and we were in pretty like it was pretty warm it was hot
0: up there too <laughs> yeah. so it was uh yeah so little tip turn your turn to make your zona uh system all shut down before you put your boat on the trailer to pack up the day before because when you rock up that day to put your boat in it's going
1: to be already turned off so when it backs in the water you go oh, what's my depth and you turn it back on that was red's tip for new age caravans spring into summer sale now on Visit your local dealership for more details. All right, Redmond, it's time for the flying gaff, and it's a two-part gaff because you've got a little thank you to make, and you've also got a little bit of feedback for uh, one of our uh, lovely airlines that we travel with around Australia. But my gaff for the weekend is heading to the uh, the hillside man who was intercepted at uh, the Queenscliff boat ramp by Fisheries Vic. His boat was seized. He's, now, Fishery Vic said his boat was worth six grand. I think it might have been worth at least double that. So he's losing a boat that's worth 10 to 15K. Uh, all of his fishing gear and everything that he caught for exceeding the calamari bag limit, everyone knows what it is. You're not, you know uh, what's yeah. sad about this is I went down for
0: a drive to have a coffee with Chris O during the week, our good friend from Gone Fishing Charters. And unfortunately, I drove into the ramp to have a look and it's pretty sad that there's road work signs, so those big light-up ones at the ramp now telling you your possession of
1: Whiting and Calamari. Like, that's crap. Like, Well, it just shows that people don't uh, Just because there's people.
0: And I know numerous people that are doing this double bagging. I don't say nothing. I shut my mouth and I'm hoping some of them I know really well. And I'm hoping karma gets them because if I'm not allowed to do it, either are they, and if you're not allowed to do it, Pat, either are they as well. So please, uh, please stop doing it if you're doing it. We'll actually, keep doing it because you're going to get yourself caught, to be honest with you. So going to cop a fine, lose your boat, and potentially not be allowed to fish for up to 10 years. So good luck to you. Respect the
1: rules. Now, you had a gaff. Guess what? Bad oh, luck airline. you're going to carry it for next week because we are out of time. <laughs> it's time to wrap up Real Adventures for this weekend. We're going fishing. Want to witness the world's biggest football game?